Troy, how is jury duty? I actually try to get out of it by claiming bias. Think you're a podcaster? <laughs> you mean by actually answering their questions? When I got into the room and I found out it was going to be a civil trial between a taxi driver and another guy that was was hurt, I felt like, am I biased? That's the question I asked myself. Do I need to disqualify myself? I mean, I desperately wanted to, but I didn't. I didn't. I told them I was Canadian. Oh, so you played the Canadian card. I thought you would have just told them that I work with private equity firms, so... Do with that what yeah. you want, and the defense would be like, he's gone. I have strong opinions about unions. The end of the story is the two attorneys walked away for an hour, and nobody knew where they were, and they came back in and they settled. And I don't have to do jury duty for eight more years. It's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I think they're also going to mail me a check for 40 bucks. You get 40 bucks. You do? If you're not already getting paid. Yeah, no one's paying me while I'm at jury duty. 40 bucks. I'm an eat-what-you-kill guy. <laughs> anyway, thanks for attempting to do your service. I did my service. I was there for the whole day. Actually going to spin this forward. We're going to try not to luxuriate in the doom and gloom that is the extinction event that's happening right now in the publishing industry. And we're going to try to be positive. I got called a negative dude by someone both you and I know personally, Troy. I'm not going to out him here. That hurt. I know. But... I know who it was. I know who it was. <laughs> That's okay. Then I got a note from someone at a large media company just today who told me, I don't think the doom and gloom is unwarranted. I'm in the midst of building a 2024 state of the industry presentation for an offsite. The walled gardens increased share in 23 and will continue to increase share in 24. Traffic to publishers from social and search fell off a cliff last year and isn't coming back. So two ways to look at it. But I want to talk about some things in the news before we get on to some ideas for fixing the media products. I think the media product needs to be fixed. It's easy to blame outside forces and not look internally. I don't know if you saw, but Will Lewis, who's the new CEO of Washington Post, gave an interview with Semaphore that I thought was pretty interesting. When you think about the challenges that a lot of publishers are facing, the Post is definitely one of them. And there was one part of it that I thought was particularly noteworthy. And which he talked about how the news industry overall needs to innovate a lot more. And he said, my hunch is that the industry is changing so rapidly that actually probably, and this is all vague, social AI and personalization are the next opportunities. So the newsletter stuff, we have great newsletters and they're probably going to get better. But the next phase is probably not going to be to copy what was done five years ago, but to move forward. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it, Troy? I mean, I thought that was a charming interview. It was charming is what I, how I would characterize it. Yeah, oh, besides... British. I mean, he had to tolerate Ben Smith, so oh, yes. good on him. Don't, don't slander Ben again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sitting with Ben Smith for an hour is tor <laughs> <Stop>. torture. <laughs> He's a listener. you got to respect the audience. That's why you got to be audience first. Call me. Let's do lunch. There was a couple things in there that stood out to me. It's just the candor and the idea that there's more than one way to sell a subscription. I thought that was was cool. Maybe you buy it by the day or by the article or by the week. Clearly opportunities for experimentation. I thought that 
his narrowing of their focus to Washington policy opinion was sensible. Well, there's a couple other things. What else did he say that, did he talk about the bundle, some kind of thinking about the bundle differently? Again, these things are always a little bit vague, but that's, that's how it goes. I don't expect him to have all the answers in, after a month or so. But he talked about being able to be an aggregator rather than the aggregated. Right, that stood out too. I think that's an interesting point because I think it's a path for, I mean, there's lots of examples of the path of kind of aggregation, either MCNs were aggregations of YouTube people, arguably, you know, ESPN invested $85 million to aggregate a YouTube show with a kind of independent-minded personality, Pat McGraw. Forbes aggregated, I don't know, experts, quote-unquote, inside of their contributor network. And I think you're going to see a lot more of it, actually. I think you're going to see functions that replicate what the hard things that a media company would do for you, partnerships and maybe platforms and maybe some administrative stuff or maybe monetization, more and more bringing together independent kind of experts or players that need a home. And I would argue that Puck is kind of this as well, although it's more of a media brand, but it really is an aggregation of whatever the modern incarnation of bloggers is. You know, it's aggregation of voices. So I, I think that that's, that's cool. I, the other thing I left the article with thinking is, what a great challenge. What a great challenge and, and a great opportunity for him because they have a lot of subs, right? And they have a great brand and they have an unbelievable position, although it's hugely competitive now with Punchbowl and Politico and Axios and everybody else that came out of the Washington Post living in their, in their sandbox. But lots of resource, a very engaged audience, lots of subscribers have at it. Figure it yeah. out. What I find interesting is for something, someone like the Washington Post and the LA Times is they have these lucrative niches that are their hometown industries that they let others own. And I don't quite understand why. I mean, think about the people who came out of Washington Post who went on to found what for the media industry are very successful cases. I mean, Axios, basically, you know, fine, they went to Politico and built Politico, but then they went to build Axios. Punchbowl, they had time at Washington Post. The government is a massive industry sitting right there, and they've, in many cases, allowed others to go deeper in it and establish beachheads in far better, basically far better positions than trying to be a national paper. So it'll be interesting to see. Your friend Ben asked about, about going after people like Punchbowl, and he, he sort of dodged the question. But to me, it was very telling. Last week, after all of the layoffs and everything, I went to a media launch party, and it was for Punchbowl, right? So like these, these things are still existing. Like media, The media business still exists. It's still going on. There are actually people who are still growing. And so I'm not a negative dude. I don't mean to be offensive about this negative dude. Lots thing. of media. There's still lots of media. There will always be lots of media, Brian. So uh, I want to get your take, Alex. By the way, Alex, someone wrote it. I didn't tell you guys this in the text thing. And he was like, we need more Alex. I swear to God. He said, you and Troy didn't let Alex talk enough last podcast. Well, it's because he's being, he's being naive. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I wanted to bring you in with a specific thing because the last okay. time the Washington Post went through this period was when Bezos took over and it was all about being like a tech company. Now, Willows didn't talk about any of that. Technology was going to be at the heart of what they did. They built 
different software platforms. They they built an ad server. Their CTO. Did Shilash they build an ad Kosh. server? I don't think they built an ad server. They built an ad server for. Are you ready for this? For Kindle ads, it actually is true. And this was one of those small examples that they were using of we're like a real technology company. Well, they That's, built a, they built a, a sort of CMS called Arc that they would you know going to offer to the rest of the publishing industry. Yeah, that's gone out the window. We're going to talk about the product and stuff. How deeply do you think that publishers should get into building tech? Well, let me think about that question for a second because part of the issue I find and I find myself falling into that trap is that the conversation has been about trying to represent yourself as a tech company, right? It increases your valuation if you're on the stock market. It makes people think you're going to be more interesting in the long term. But I think in 2024... I don't think it increases your valuation necessarily. Oh, come on, Troy. That's ridiculous because that was the entire game plan. How many rounds did you have at Save Media? If you didn't have a tech story, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had well, this we, we, <laughs> we weren't a public company, right? But because it goes beyond media, right? I mean, we work, all of these companies were trying to represent it as tech to get the better multiples. You know, it's happening in fintech, it's happening everywhere. What I would say, though, is there has been, what I've seen from, from the media, maybe a lack of trying new shit out. It doesn't mean building your, your new tech, but having people within the company that understand technology as it's moving and trying to build stuff from there, new formats, taking advantage of new platforms, moving really quickly and trying all that stuff out. So I would say that it's wise to want to become a tech forward company, but at the same time, like shouldn't every company be it? That to me, that sounds a bit, little bit like an empty promise until you start showing us some stuff. I think the New York Times succeeded because it became a tech companies, it's building games, it's building interactive content, it's building stuff that you can only access behind the paywall. And I think over time, that's probably as content becomes just absorbed by the AI and spat out, and we'll talk about that more later, you really need to give people a reason to experience your brand and your content within the boundaries of your wall. And for that, you need to provide some sort of technology, some sort of new interaction model, a way to experience the content there that isn't available anywhere else, right? And that's where I think I think they should start investing. That stuff's hard and it will take time, but you know, better start now than later. Can I answer? You can sure. answer, Troy. So I think media companies are massively experimental, particularly with formats and platforms. Every media company that I've ever touched or been a part of moves quickly to find ways for their content to live in new ways on new platforms and I think, evolve how they tell stories. Maybe not always with success or adeptness or whatever, but you know, I think that it's a business that's completely fungible. You make it new every day, so you get a lot of experimentation. I think that the answer to the question, though, is either none or a lot. Either invest nothing in tech, mm-hmm. like you, you do, and use everything available that you only need to configure to enable a media business, whether that's Substack or WordPress or Shopify or Piano or all of the pieces that you could use to assemble a meaningful stack from creation to interaction to monetization, or figure out that you really want to try to bridge the culture between content and technology. And generally speaking, that would be companies like that really need to do it and have the scale to do it, like a, like a Netflix or New York Times that 
that have the scale of content investment to create a center of gravity in an application and that need to execute that effectively, which I, I do think the New York Times has done really well. I think it's going to be a really important capability for someone like CNN. I think Washington Post will really need technology to realize the vision. At the risk of sounding naive, though, isn't there a case to be made that with AI and with these different tools that the cost of developing software and the number of people and developers you need in order to develop it is going to come down to the point where it actually does now make sense for an increasing number of publishers to be creating their own. Let's see. Yeah, it's unproven. You know what, though, Troy, I don't entirely agree with your premise that... Uh, I thought we were doing yes and. Well, well, I'm yes ending saying yes and I disagree. I <laughs> no, here's the thing. I think that media companies have been trying a lot of shit out. But the stuff that they've been trying out is like, so we have this article, it's got a headline, you know, it's got this many paragraphs. Let's experiment with how many tabula ads which can shift at the bottom. No, that's not can, true. Can that's, ad, that, can, that's disparaging to the entire industry. Well, that's what I'm here for. And <laughs> yeah. so and so you kind of open up CNN, the New York Times, the LA Times. You just open up that, that homepage and you essentially get more or less of the same experience. And I don't think there has been that much on format innovation or, or leading with that. And to Brian's point, yeah, it might become easier to become a tech company in the world of AI. I think you'll also have a lot more competition coming at you from smaller companies that don't need the, the amount of resources. But you kind of know what it looks like, right, Alex? Like your boys at, at The Verge, they iterated between short and long form in their feed. They were proudly kind of homepage first in their philosophy and their investment. They talk a lot about social federation. They've been trying different stuff. But you're talking about a tech company, and I think Neele and the team there is like probably the other guys trying the most out. They've they've got a great run of podcasts. They do amazing content. How's it like working out? Pro. Do you think? I mean, I think in tech they're heard us thin a lot, so it's basically a lot of time like them and MKBHD and and these guys that are that own that space, right? I wonder, I wonder, Alex, if they had just farted that stuff out to a blog and then made a decent podcast, whether the business would be in exactly the same shape, less the technical aspirations. I think it's that attitude that kind of reduces the amount of like innovative spirit in the company. There's this famous story about Pixar wanting to release sequels to its movies on VHS at the time or DVDs, and they decided not to do it because the worst thing you do kind of sets the benchmark for the whole company. And I think this thing of like, well, why did they do it? Did it even matter? Like, yeah, it mattered because they're trying and the kind of spirit of that company is coming across, I think. It's true. It's, you know, it's just that I'm a, I'm beaten up, Alex. I get it, man. I was with you in the beginning. We tried, we tried I built stuff. massive, massive CMS technology platforms, bloody, bloody, blah, tons of people, months and months, if not years of time. And it's not clear to me that that was a winning formula. In fact, my biggest detractor through all of it, and, and yeah, I was talking my book a lot, but was Brian Morrissey. I was going to say, your media OS. <laughs> that's a, what, a, what a great name. And that's a great, oh, that's a great good name. Good, 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 good. Uh, but Brian and, and Troy, it's not only like building new stuff, it's together with that. I mean, what was the first part of the scope of that CMS? We need a title. We need a deck and we need an author. It's everything uses the same formats. And then on top of that, the other kind of technical literacy and foresight was like, and we're gonna give everything to Google for free and Facebook. 
And whichever tech company is like kind of comes to us and promises us the world, we're going to just give them all our shit for free. Like it's not only like building new stuff. It's also about making the right technical decisions and having a long-term plan for the stuff you're building. Like it's a strategic, there's a lot of strategic mistakes that were made here, right? Well, let's let's use that to get into the media product because I think a lot of the discussion in the last week and the last ten years have been about who's to blame for how terrible the media business has been at various. Brian, times. I wrote a love letter to Alex in the form of a newsletter, which people can read on Thursday when it or Wednesday whenever. Oh, I you're it coming out. out of retirement. I like it. Yeah, and it's about this. It's about the blame game, but it's also about the trade offs that operators make. In it, I, I almost apologize for calling him naive. Oh, <laughs> is the title "Don't Be Naive"? That's what I would. That's going to be my editorial suggestion. <laughs> Don't be Don't. naive. That should be your spinoff podcast. Don't be naive. Yeah, no, but I think that a lot of the conversation has been around blame, and I think some of that's let's let's be honest, it's fun. It's fun, and I think mostly we should. There's so many people to blame, I realize. There are, so it's great. It's a circular firing squad. Who do you want to blame? You want to blame Europe? You want to blame unions? You want to blame woke mind virus? What do you want to blame? You want to blame Zuck? You want to blame cookies or banners? Who do you want to blame? Who's not getting enough blame? Well, let me let me start with that. Who's not blame getting Ro- Roger at Condé Nast? Do you, who do you want to blame Anna and her sunglasses? Who's not getting enough blame? I don't know. Private equity is not getting enough blame. Oh, I was <laughs> not you, you stole it from me. <laughs> Let's get where's BlackRock? Let's get BlackRock in. The no, room. you should Beat a, a, bl- a little bit. Philanthropist blame philanthropy. Yeah, yeah. They philanthropists usually get a pass. Some people took some shots at what's his name, Pierre Omidyar, a couple years back, but generally philanthropists are, are fun. But I think that that obscures a lot of the weaknesses within the product, and I think the you know, look, any industry under attack. I was listening to this podcast. I've been sharing. I, l- I really like the Hidden Brain podcast. I want to have Shankar Vedantam on this podcast, my own podcast sometime. His voice is winning. His voice It's is great. It's great. Yeah, it's-, it's great. I want to have him on the podcast because he had a podcast recently where he was talking about how, you know, we're like basically conditioned as humans to be fearful. And, and that's because for most of human existence, there was a lot of predators out there that could actually kill us. And we actually live in a time, which is strange because we're obsessed with safety in a lot of areas where life is fairly safe for most of us. But we can't shake that that thing of looking at others and particularly those on the opposing side as having dangerous motives. And, and I think that there's some of that has seeped into the media industry with good reason because of all of the challenges that it has faced. But I think it's also obscured some of the weaknesses that exist within it, within the product it puts out. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about how the media product itself needs to change in all of its different iterations. Does that sound good? Hmm. Yeah. I wonder where this will take us. You, You had said that you can change what you make, who you're making it for, who's making it. What yeah. job it does, how yeah. it is made, uh-huh. and I think all of these things need to be rethought well, at this point. Sure, I mean my point to to Alex in my letter to Alex was that you can change all this stuff, right? But remember, the job one is to create the product you're creating or some semblance of it to serve and preserve an audience, to make money off that audience, to pay your staff and to pay your shareholders while freeing up enough resource and mind share and energy to make the next thing, right? You can't stop 
you got to keep going and evolve. So that's a real challenge in running media companies. The second one is you can change your cost structure, which you see. This is, what, do we, what did I call this? This is January 24 media layoff extravaganza or apocalypse. I don't know what, it's never seen really anything like it all at once. And January is, to be sure, it's kind of layoff season. It's been terrible. So we're, we're going through something structural, but you got to change your cost structure with or without a union. And as we discussed last time, you have to figure out how deep you want to go so you maybe don't have to do it three times. But you got to make sure that the company keeps running and making money while you go through the change, right? But that's that's every company. I mean, it's like you're talking about it this. Is, like it's, it, it's unique. But one thing that I think there's it, a lot... It, it is a, a little bit unique. Yeah, okay. Well, l- let me finish. I, I work in tech and I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's silly and, and we shouldn't follow about this industry. But the one thing I find is useful is this complete paranoia that whatever you're doing right now, somebody's just waiting around the corner to have a product that will totally surpass you, right? Like there's always that paranoia, like what are we doing next? What's happening now? And what I saw in media and being in the room oftentimes trying to convince where it was editors, publishers, advertisers, writers, execs, that things needed to change and stuff needed to be tried out and we needed like kind of longer time frames to play out things like subscriptions or new models of interaction because people took a long time to change behaviors was met with a lot of like, no man, we've been doing this for a hundred years. This okay. is not going to okay. change. I don't disagree with that, Alex. I think we're seeing the signs of that now. That right. Like, there but here's enough. where it gets a little different. And this nuance is important. If you make a box of cereal, right? Or you make a car or you make Instagram. You've already made Instagram. It's chugging away. It's making you money. People are making content on top of it. And you can send your engineer team, engineering team, and your product team to go make something else, to go introduce something else into a system of stable distribution and a product that exists. In media, all those people that are working there are making your product every day. You have to say to them, go make something different. You know, yeah. go make something different while we figure out how to monetize that unproven thing that we don't know even that anybody's going to read or watch or consume or interact with or whatever. So my point is only it's a high wire act because the troops have to do something new, but they still have to do the old thing. And there's not a lot of profit in the system currently. Right. I the mean, kid- now now it might honestly be too late. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, no, you said we no. wouldn't go there. You said No, no, uh, but what uh, I'm saying Alex. Okay. So there's this scene at the end of Wally where they land on the earth and it's all kind of destroyed but everybody starts stepping outside and there's a single plant growing. I mean, I think this is where we are now. There's new shoots coming. There's really exciting young media companies, small ones. I don't know how the big ones retrofit themselves into a successful model. I just yeah. Let, let me let me add just another dimension to optimism. It, down, the optimism. The, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's really valuable <laughs> to question to question all of this. But the other one is the next one on the list of change. Brian is change who pays for your stuff, and I I encountered this firsthand. Either a sponsor or an advertiser pays for your stuff or a consumer pays for your stuff, most, mostly, right? There's some other variations. And what's really hard to do in media is say, we're going to change from advertisers mostly paying for our stuff to consumers because the product needs to change. 
Yeah, because and 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 the people who make the product, like everything, has to change. And I everything. don't think the cultures of these organizations are there. I like, mean, you've got one team that's chasing scale and distribution through Google and Facebook and all of that stuff, and they're creating content that's sensitive and supportable by advertisers, and they're really focused on how to build that kind of business. Then you have to say, no, 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 no. We want to go in and focus on a niche and quality and something you can't get somewhere else. Stop what you're doing. Wait, I can't stop. The advertisers want what I'm doing and do the next thing. So I just want to, it's not impossible. It just makes change more difficult. Of course it's difficult. Is there a similar dynamic in, in tech businesses? I mean, I think, yeah, especially once you start reaching some sort of product market fit and most of your organization is busy building and maintaining the product that is generating revenue. I mean, I think you compared it to media that pe people have to get up every day to, to make the content. Like software isn't stagnant, right? There's like people working every day to make sure that stuff remains up basically and available to its customers. Yeah, I think but that's maintenance. I mean, I don't mean yeah. to take Troy's side, but you got to recreate no. your piece of software every day pretty much in, in media. I would always say that to people. I'm like, the good news is we have another shot at it tomorrow. That's also the bad news. Unless you're Martha Stewart and you know every <laughs> Halloween you just repost the same articles. I, look, I think what happened is it's exactly that, right? Where you were beholden to what advertisers wanted. The content you make for advertisers isn't what users want over time because at the end of the day, it's like it only works when everybody delivers a product with the same amount of friction and crap around it. So if everybody's got like super long articles that they can fit around ads, then that's fine because the market is stabilized like this. The second you have competitors coming in that remove that friction, then you, you're screwed. Like, so yes, absolutely. You need to slice off a part and you need to start working on different types of products, even though they're small in the beginning. The problem that companies have, and I think it's been a problem that Google has, is if, and maybe I cynically say that everything that advertising touches ends up sucking. I know this is not what you guys want to hear, but <laughs> like Google's relationship with advertisers has turned it into a company that hasn't innovated and has turned it into a company that says, wait, if anything doesn't reach those same margins, then we're just not going to do it and we're not going to spend the time to do it. And I think the same happened here, which is like, there's a format, we put it out, advertisers pay money to it. Turns out if we create more, we have more space for ads and we make more money. Not thinking that on the side 10 years ago, they should have all been business, building businesses that are diversified, not only subscription-based, but you know all sorts of like different media formats, you know, investing in podcasts, investing in everything. Oftentimes yeah. this stuff would like make a team of five to 10 people, let them go for a year or two. And they wouldn't do that. They're doing all that. They're doing it. <laughs> well, I'm not seeing it, man. What do you mean? They all have podcasts. I mean, sure, now, yes. Yeah, sure. Well, what I'm interested in, this, we're recording this. I think it's just ending on the other side of Florida, the IAB's annual meeting. You remember this, Troy. I was the Always. chairman of the IAB, yeah, proudly, yeah, of proudly. Great organization. They're over on Marco Island. I, one of the big discussions over there is around Google and its privacy sandbox. You talk about innovating. I mean, they're replacing the third-party cookie. It's been years in the making. Google this, pays the bills for the IAB. This privacy sandbox. And like literally, they're just there and they're like, yeah, well, we can't figure it out. You guys have to figure it out. And I wonder, because this is critical to those people in that room. Like there's 1,500 people over there, executive. Entire organizations are looking at extinction events. And I wonder if you go into Google, where does it sit, this privacy sandbox, in their corporate priorities? Is it in the top 100? Oh, definitely. Where, definitely. 50? 
I don't know where it sits, Brian. I think that when that much of your money, I mean, we're, existential, you know, it, it, but it's actually not as existential as search. The privacy sandbox stuff hits their mostly their display ad network more yeah. than it does, and their ability to bring like Max together and retarget across all of their offerings from like YouTube display, search, all that. But you know, search is fine without privacy sandbox. Search does great. You know, it's the display ecosystem broadly and the replacement for the cookie that powered things like retargeting that are really, you know, up for grabs. I think it's a priority. I really do. Okay. But you know what? Getting back to the question, I, I think that the next one is, and this is one of the refreshing things from that that interview that we talked about with Will a second ago, is changing how you create. And I think that's going to be a big thing, which is what you decide to put human resource into and what you don't, how AI augments the media product that we're creating. Let me just tell you why it was clarified and made more resonant for me. I'm on the board of a company that creates sports content. Did we talk about this already? I don't think we did. Anyway, oh. a lot is it of... Sports, is it Sports Illustrated? No, it's not. It's not. But th- wouldn't that be great? Then you could make more fun of me. Troy, <laughs> <laughs> you're taking the, the mantle of the victim. I like this. Yeah. No, but I'll just leave it at this. A lot of what they do is, I mean, it, it's a large global media property that has a legacy in news and scores, sports news and scores. And a lot of what their writers do is game summaries, player profiles, stuff that sits almost like highlights from a quarterly a call, like an investment, like a... Uh, earnings call? Earn, from an earnings call, right? Like oh, it's, those people it, are going to be replaced by a machine. I mean, I hope they're not listening. If they are, I would do something else. Well, th- this, this is my point, is that when we started doing experiments at this company around AI, and we trained it on, on the corpus of content that existed over the last 15 years... The ability for AI to recreate kind of basic sports reporting was pretty staggering. It really forced you to look at where we're investing money. So I think that's going to change radically. And I try not to kind of moralize that at all. Like if the robots can do parts of the work better and it doesn't compromise the consumer experience, then, you know, why not? Yeah. I mean, well, I remind myself as much as it sort of threatens people like me that. I don't remember people like me being too upset about machines automating things on assembly lines and jobs being sucked out of the Midwest and the United States. I don't remember that, that being so. It was like, well, capitalism, you know, that's, that's innovation. So it, it usually goes up the, I don't want to say up the value chain, but it goes into other areas. But just a word of warning to media companies looking at AI, it's a trap because I know what's happening right now in a lot of Publishers is where you know they go in the room and they say, "Hey, everybody, bring ideas as to what we can do with this AI stuff." And while we're now faced with the biggest revolution in the way we can interface with computers and knowledge in generations since forever, right? It it could be it's like a massive shift in the way we interface with with knowledge in general. A lot of the ideas that come up is like, well, we can generate what top you know ISPs you can find in Wisconsin or it's West Virginia, we can, it's West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia or 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 maybe we can generate these kind of like a market recap. What you're doing as a business is you're providing value. That value is has to be something that you cannot get anywhere else. And if you think that you can use these platforms and teach them all the stuff that 
they're going to end up doing straight out of the box because it's happening right now. And you, that's how you're going to make money. You're dead in the water. That's not how you should be using AI. And let me tell you, I can hear like a lot of the ideas coming up are not about providing new value. They are about reducing the overhead of running a traditional media business. And that is game I mean, over. I love it. I love your idealism, but I think you're wrong again. <laughs> and, and I think you're wrong because there's lots of businesses that exist in the cracks between what is and what could be and where the inefficiencies are in navigation and discovery and, and monetization. And those businesses are just, I mean, maybe they're not pure businesses in the sense of we make products that God put us on earth to make. But yeah. like, for example, I was looking at a business the other day, an Israeli product review company, I guess we'd call it, affiliate oriented. It scrapes thousands of product sources a day, pulls all the SKUs together, organizes all the metadata around products, pulls in the reviews puts a thin AI generated like, hello, this is a toaster review on top of it. In this case, I think literally generates the author profile, <laughs> but creates a machine that exists between Google and the other part of the world, which is where you buy stuff, Amazon or whatever. And this company makes $50 million in EBITDA a year. It may not forever. That's going to have to find its, its next hack frontier. But it's making a group of people rich. I, I understand the, the, the knee-jerk reaction to that. But I'm saying that those opportunities exist in a lot of places. It, there's opportunities to frack the last remaining drops of oil out of the sand as well. Like I'm just talking about like how you build a meaningful business. Because when in 10 years we're on episode 6,000 of this, and you're talking about these guys now firing 80% of their five years, Right, because like, oh, you know, it turns out that the air has sucked all the. Oh, of course that's going to happen. Of course that's they're arbitrary. All right, okay. Well, if we, I don't want to cover people who are just like surfing all the magma wave that's about to hit the village. Like, great, good for them. (laughs) There's always, I mean, there's always people who like chaos and destruction always brings with it a lot of opportunity, and that's fine. Like, there's and, and that is a valid way of making money, and so is private equity, and so are all these things. But right now, we're talking about media business, some of them who are hundreds, 100 years old. Like, and how do they survive? Or how do you build the next 100-year-old business on the top of, of this technology, which is so revolutionary? And when I see the execution around it, I'm like, I think you were right of what you say. You either invest heavily in technology, and it is understanding the dynamics of what Google is doing, what Apple's going to be doing, what the AI companies are doing, and invest in technology, or you don't do any of it and you provide a purely human business, which is what Brian is is doing, which is, I mean, you're not going to win this because you have the best technology. You use newsletters yeah. and we publish to an RSS feed and that's all we need. Yeah, And look yeah. at us, winning, hashtag winning. winning yeah. I, I kind of, in my love letter to Alex, I tried to start to frame after having said changing all the things that you can change from your costs to what you create to how you create, I started to put down what I think the next version starts to look like. And one thing that influenced me in this is the All In podcast from this week. I think it it's, was started by, I don't know, Friedberg or something. Basically, he said the centralization of the reporting process is an artifact of the past, that the media reporting process gets disaggregated in the future inside of the commons, 
It's dissected and processed by experts and delivered right to the brain or to the vein inside of a platform like X or whatever social platform. I think that a lot of stuff, I suppose, happens that way. But I think for the people as media, how we think about media, it's unlikely. And I think that it's missing like a bunch of ingredients that make media really important. And it's trust, reassurance, reliability, convenience, all of the things that come with an organized stream of content inside of a media brand. And that's especially true for me in news. And I find it kind of ironic that the guys who continually malign mainstream media are always quick to reference it in support of their talking points. Because referring to, that was an article in the Wall Street Journal, is a useful mechanic in the way we share ideas and process information, right? It has a role to play. Hmm. Media brands have a persistent role to oh, play sure. in society. I don't and even so, think they would argue against that. Well, they do. I, I, I think you should always mistrust people who keep talking about how intellectual having intellectual honesty is important because they'll do a lot of mental gymnastics to make their points sound, you know, like yeah, right. So, yeah, I think you. There were some good you, points in that. I thought the the crazy. I got to bring up the Sachs thing about. He was saying that Sports Illustrated collapsed, and this is I find this always very interesting because yeah, I mean I think I, this was a soundbite, but it was I, like, I understand that. But he said Sports Illustrated that that Sports okay. Illustrated's demise, and it's not dead. We should say demise is because it went woke, and he said it was because they put a transgender person on the swimsuit cover instead of Christy Brinkley, which I found <laughs> I look up. Christy is sixty nine now, and they put Martha Stewart actually on who is who is older than, than yeah. Christy Brinkley. Not that. Young people should only be on the swimsuit cover. But that's a crazy, when you talk about trust, that's a crazy hive mind media thing that happens around the kind of red pilled, you know, part of the internet where this DEI stuff is now blamed for the Sports Illustrated. This morning, people were reposting clips of people blaming DEI for the drone attacks in Jordan. <laughs> so it's it's the new woke mind virus. It's the new Coke branding of the woke mind virus. So um, as long it gave me as a little long, pause though because happens. he said it with the same self assuredness he says about other topics. So I'm like, wait, are you are you applying the same thing to all these other areas? Because you don't know anything of what you're talking right. about in this area. I know that for sure. This kind I, of malignant malignant ignorance and confidence is like a specific breed of like success in the valley. But it's I thought really Jason, impressive. Jason made a, an actual good point in in which he wow. talked about expertise eating into the media. I think that's real. I think that's real. And I think right? that is something that is a real problem with the the product in that generalists have been there's too many generalists. I got a note from someone who was talking about meeting with a laid off BI editor who was talking about the problems of they had an organization and I was in the elevator with these people. It was built on extremely inexperienced people that they brought in in order to, because Henry thought he could produce page views at a lower cost than the legacy organizations like the Wall Street Journal and all the other ones that, that, that the All In Podcast cites. And the problem is that game is over. It didn't, it didn't last. And now they're... Yeah, it's turning a chef into a line cook. And that's what they're, they're, they're just trying to drive the cost out. And you do lose. I, th I think the notion of 
that AI replaces part of the spectrum from data to basic reporting and that the next layer increasingly and, and hopefully is the province of people that have deep, deep, deep expertise. And I, I think you'll see more of that, Brian. And yeah. how they're federated, how they're connected, how they distribute, all of those things, I think there's lots of room for innovation. But uh, energy shifts to experts, I totally agree. I was going to say one one kind of just undercurrent in that conversation, though, was that you have to put the blame on a lot of these people that were unqualified and employed within these organizations. That's a leadership and a strategic mistake, right? Like You hire a lot of people with not a ton of experience and you put them into these organizations. Like, I'd, r- I'd rather blame the kids. Yeah, I know. It's happening a lot around. I mean, I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying there's a lot of that. Well, I think it's like, I, I don't mean to blame 25-year-olds because I think it's a major problem within this industry and in that I think where things are going, people who are very experienced and know, like, I think that there's value there and they'll be able to scale themselves, et cetera. I think the issue is going to be how do you bring people even into this profession? And first of all, how do you attract people into a profession that it's <laughs> that is generally held to be a dumpster fire by the people within it? And that is not a very attractive place to go. I was talking to someone who was in the media industry and then went to work for Google and then for Facebook. He was like, he goes, it was amazing. He was like, it was like being on a cruise ship. <laughs> it's like you got, the food was amazing. He goes, we were paid so much money. And he goes, we were like furniture. And the only question was like when they would like realize that. So I mean, uh, it, it is a big point, right? This whole point. It's because it's a function of the system that was created that chased volume at scale at all costs, meaning that you had to, push cost out of the fundamental resource that you trade in, which is people, which I think changed perception of of the industry, which created, I think, unionization pressure, which it's just, there's all of these consequences of a, a system that was really unhealthy. Yeah, but I think it's simplistic to say these jobs pay less, so they attract worse. Is that like naive, simplistic? No, it's simplistic. Here's a good analog so in video game design and software design, right, being an engineer at a kind of tech company plays two to three times as much as being an engineer in a video game company and is oftentimes a lot less work and stress, right? Uh, video game companies famously have crunch. They work very hard hours. So why are not all video games terrible? I think it's because you kind of attach yourself to the people who are really passionate about the product, you lead them well, and you make them build something that is valuable, right? Otherwise, it's not merely like, well, we don't have the money to hire the best people. You will always find a writer. I, we had, I had writers on my team. They were making a lot more money probably at Airbnb than they were in the media. But like, under the right guidance, working for the right property, they would have switched roles. Yes, a lot of pe- people do this because they love it. But... Yes, and people have many different motivations, particularly when they're in their like 20s and 30s and making these decisions. And glamour industries always get people that go into it for reasons beyond money, right? Right, and that's why, that's why leadership abuses that. You pay them little free internships, all that shit. And you expect to get a good product out of that? I mean, I, I think we can blame the talent pool, but you, okay, maybe don't hire 50 people who've never worked before and hire 10 that have, like... There are ways. I'm not blaming the talent pool as much as I'm blaming the system in many ways. Blame the system. Because the system 
sort of sets up a situation where you put impossible demands on people without a clear career path. That's my point. That begets a lot of unhappiness. That begets unions. That begets like an impossible situation becoming even more impossible. And it's just this doom loop to some degree in this optimism episode that needs to be broken. <laughs> so let's break this doom loop. Yeah, that's like that line that my friend Colleen always uses, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Uh, we're related, let's just keep going for a minute on what could be and what will emerge, because that's what we're trying to figure out. And I don't yeah. think it magically emerges in, in a single episode. But I think more and more of our information diet will be fed by informal, personal communication circles inside of texting apps. And I will only reference, I mean, obviously there's lots of those from WhatsApp to Reddit to, you know, iChat. But the communication that exists between the three of us in our group is media. Right? Oh, I've always, that's a great piece of media. It's fun and it's personal and it's highly relevant. And I would say that I get a lot of good stuff from you guys. I think I give more than I get, but I, I get a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Put a lot of work into that. <laughs> yeah. Way, way to share, to precisely share what the vibe on this chat group is. Yeah. Just <laughs> try complaining that he's not getting enough credit. Yeah, <laughs> it's the old punch kiss. Mm -hmm. No, but anyway, I think that that's important. It's important media to me. And, yeah, um, man, and people are on all sorts of like large WhatsApp groups that are invite only where they get privileged information. A lot of there's a lot people. of big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, I think we're heading into this like tale of two. And that's why I, in some ways I, I want to, what do the Brits call it? Ring fence? Like the the legacy stuff is going to be grotesque. There, and, and it's not just legacy analog, it's legacy digital. Joy hates when I talk about the SEO glue factory, but it's, no, just, no. it's so unbecoming. Hey. I, it just bums me out. I want to say a prayer. I want to say a prayer, Brian. I want to say what, a prayer hairpin? for the open web. Okay, the open web, yeah. It was good. Because run. It's going to last. It's a frontier that is yet, I mean, I think Google's central role in organizing it is atrophying as we speak. The open web is the only place that you can go out and be kind of pioneering in any way that you want to. It's a beautiful place. The navigation to it is kind of fucked up and the monetization models haven't delivered on what we had hoped. But the open web is something that needs to persist, I think, for all enthusiasts, for all interested peoples, for the news industry, for humanity. So I think we should have regular guests who are who are making a go of it and are building actual media businesses, no matter what size they are. Because I think it's important. Sometimes you can get into the the doom loop and I, I fall Who do you want? Who do you want, Brian? I've got I've got people in mind. I mean I'm trying to like balance it with my own podcast. <laughs> this will be like remnant. Oh wait inventory. a second. Are we like kind of like not getting first dibs on guests. It's Remnant. Just as an example, we have a guy like Neil, right? Neil who? Vogel. Neil Vogel? He's not Remnant. He's, he's... No, no, no. Neil, Neil will tell you that he's <laughs> running a perfectly healthy business, and I'm sure he is. It may not be quite meeting expectations, but he's got a lot of great brands, got a lot of revenue. They have half-decent amount of EBITDA. We should have Neil on. Neil's a good book talker, and he'll, he'll represent the side, the side of optimism well. He will. He'll do a good job with the. Yeah, the he's a brilliant guy. So we'll get Neil on. Okay, there's a shout out. Who's after Neil? 
if you want to talk about the open web, to a lot of people who aren't in media, it's advertising-driven media that's killed a lot of the open web. When people talk about the internet, it's that recipe that has 1,500 words and 17 tabula links, and it's filled with ads, and they're like, I don't want to use the internet anymore because of these things. So I think there's a lot of messaging that needs to happen around that. And secondly, you know, a topic I want us to get into at some point is it's not fully established yet and we don't know where it's going, but federation could be this next phase of the web, especially for media and how we distribute content and hopefully even integrate payments. I don't think people know what that means, Alex. Well, federation is essentially has been around for a long time. It's this context concept. Is it like a Star Trek thing? Yeah. It's essentially like RSS feeds, but imagine if you had post on threads that would go out on Mastodon, and if if it had an image in it, the content would be structured in a way that it can exist across multiple networks that have multiple algorithms, that have multiple interfaces. So you can download a an app that is photocentric that taps into the same feed as an app that is text-centric but just shows you the content in a different way. And it's, you can post once and it exists in a lot of different ways. And it would mean that like your content can exist locally on your blog, can exist across different... Can you jam an ad on that thing? I think there will be ways to monetize this in a lot of different ways, and if, especially if, if some form of payment is built into it. So there's this new undercurrent of so stuff crypto. that well let's hope not but in, in a sense in a sense we have a like we use rss feeds here and brian and you use newsletters these are all kind of still pretty open standards that allow us to create content and distribute it freely without any gatekeepers or platforms taking a cut right so that stuff is there's a lot of energy behind it if anything i i don't know where it's going to land but i would keep an eye on that Okay. If we do the obituary for the open web, the demise of RSS has to figure prominently. Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm so glad that Spotify failed at it because they were trying to kill it with podcasts, right? Spotify bringing a lot of podcasts and acquiring all these expensive oh. kind of professional podcasts was to create a walled garden around podcasts so that we would be forced to then publish to to a closed loop system. But that looks like that strategy's failed. I'm sure others are going to try but podcast remains one of the last free bastions of distributing content on the internet. I'm glad. I hate what they did to Anchor. I hate hate their platform. It's awful. Okay. Well, (laughs) I think this is a good time to shift into, I I feel like we picked away at some of the next frontier, which is really satisfying. Thanks for that. And I think it's a nice time to move into good product. Okay, good product. So no tech corner. I I don't get my tech corner. Oh, shit. Do you have tech corner? Yeah, man, I have, yeah. I have. Are you going to do the policy tech corner? No, I, we won't go into the policy. I think it, the Apple EU policy stuff is interesting. People should look into it. The biggest change that we'll notice is probably that they will allow game streamers on, which means services like Xbox will start moving to the iPhone. The other stuff is still fraught, and Apple has a, a great set of lawyers that make uh, just participating in these regulations really interesting. I think. Oh, should. I thought you were going to say how much they make an hour. I was going to guess like 2500 Oh, at least, at least. They made 30% into 35% while pretending it was 17%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. And we'll see. I think the, the interesting thing here is really to see energy behind chipping away at some of these locked systems, locked stores. And that could, if, if any of these things change meaningfully, it will open up a bunch of new avenues for people building apps or content. For example, right now, it is impossible to open an ebook store on Apple that you can buy 
books on because the margins wouldn't make any sense. But potentially in the future that could happen, although I don't think this is the moment. Let me just run through like my tech corner. Vision Pro reviews are coming in. I'm getting my device in a couple of weeks, in a couple of days, sorry. It's the best AR VR headset ever made, but wearing a headset still sucks. It's basically the TLDR. So I'll report back next week. I can't wait for you to get it. I'm going to come over. Can I? What are you going to? What are you going to use with it? For I remember getting Atari. I played Asteroids for my first game. What's going to be your first? I think I'm probably going to watch a movie on it, or put a bunch of windows of different productivity apps. What movie would you watch on there? It's got to be Avatar. I mean, I think that's the one they keep showing. Avatar Two: The Way of Water. The other thing is just a quick note: is that. Arc Search has launched, so I've been using the Arc browser on the desktop for a long time. Me too. I used it all week to this it's, week, Alex. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great browser. Like There's no. Like is there any summary function in there? AI summary function. It's called yeah, Max. So, so, yeah, so there is Max, but the Arc Search, Arc Search is the new mobile app that they released, and it's climbing up the charts. And it's essentially a, it it replaces if you wanted to it replaces your default browser, and tapping the icon opens up a search box, so you go straight into search. You're not asked to open a tab or whatever. And then when you search, your search query come up and they allow you to, what they call it, browse for me. If you press browse for me, they essentially do the thing that perplexity does, which is come back Mm -hmm. with a kind Mm -hmm. of like a context and some information. So it's a mixture of perplexity AI, the Google search app, and a browser. You can still jump to the website if you want. But this continues the trend of because Arc and the browser company who makes it keeps saying that their mission is to kind of fix the open web and reinvent it. But what they're doing is really like breaking everything that the media web is built on. You know so, what you can do on it? You know how you can change website designs? They have a feature called Boost on Arc. Yeah, that's on the desktop one, yeah. Yeah, and you. so I changed the design. I redesigned the New York Times yesterday. Yeah, you know, change yeah. all the fonts and change the colors and all that. It's it's, it's well, fun. Well, let's also look at what the default installed on this new mobile browser that replaces Safari. If you let it, it digests content from the internet. It also blocks ads, blocks cookie banners, and blocks trackers. So, do you know that you th- can point Boost at any element on a website and say, "Pull that out, take yes. that element out." So, what it's it's actually. The hypothesis here is that they want to turn the open web back into this open free web because none of what they're doing Mm. is going to make media companies happy. And in fact, a lot of prominent bloggers and stuff like that have come out against it. I would love Um, for Alex to use this to make the Daily Mail like a beautifully designed website. And I think it would be less less satisfying. I think you can't change the structure, you can only change the You can change a fair amount. That's and that's on the desktop, to be clear. One interesting thing is that I was talking about it, how much I liked it on threads. And I, I had a fair amount of pushback about people telling me that this is making us lazy, as if computers aren't haven't always been about making things easier for us, and that searching yeah. the internet the old-fashioned way is the thing now. Like there's artisanal <laughs> My internet day, searches. We had ten blue links. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, look at these kids just getting answers. That's ridiculous. That's also, funny. lastly, Elon Musk said that they successfully implanted a neural link into a human being, and that. Person was recovering. You think it's my question Jason, is? Right. I think it's Jason Calacanis. <laughs> okay, Has anybody seen be. Jason Calacanis? Who would say yes to anything from Elon Musk like that? I think he I think. would have like many thousands of people who would line up. For yeah, that. Oh, probably. Yeah. I'd do tens it. of thousands. You <laughs> would. I mean, you do like him. Yeah, I do. I love him. 
I love Elon. Okay, that was a great tech corner, Alex. Really impressive. Kind of a combination. Right, what do you got for product? Wait, let's keep the momentum. He going. sort of did tech corner and best product and news. So, my best product is very, very simple, and it's the new American royalty. Guess who they are? Oh, Travis right. Kelsey and Tay Tay. Tay Tay. Taylor. I should say Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, they might have political power and. They're good looking. They're tall. Their kids are. Wait, probably, do you think it's a conspiracy? Do you think it's a government conspiracy? I don't. I don't. But I think it's it's real. You, here's the thing. As I've always said, everything is high school. The libs are cool. They always have been cool. The right side has to invent conspiracy theories because no one's. They don't make cool things. They need to make up shit. They're threatened, obviously, by the organizing power of a committed Tay fan. And now we have we have our own royal couple. Great. So this is Taylor Swift is dating one of the the Trav- best Travis players Kelsey's. for yeah, Kansas City ho- Chiefs. I remember the good old days when it was Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Yeah, Simpler and times. there's a conspiracy theory because everything is a conspiracy theory because I believe it's because they think that she's going to endorse Biden and and Travis Kelsey is like he did Pfizer ads or something. Yeah, do I have this right? Right, it's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's all okay. made up nonsense. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, none of that matters, Brian. I'm sorry, Trey. What was your? There was more to the product. No, nothing more. It's people. That was it. Taylor Swift no. and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that's it. So you're not against you're not against them showing her constantly. I mean, it is a marketing bonanza for the NFL, which it is pretty. I, I'm sure you've seen the screen grabs of the Swifties getting into football, which is it's a good thing, I guess. Our I mean, two last unifying mass media vehicle. Do you think that this year's Super Bowl is going to beat every record because of it? I, I think it might. I do. I could. I think it might. I remember I used to have to do the live blog of the Super Bowl TV commercials. Was, that was the worst. I mean, there are worse jobs, but it, guys, you <laughs> that have fun. Crazy, crazy pants, Trump, lunatic, right? Where hilarious though and funny, right? That's great. He's a walking terrifying meme you have sleepy joe biden on the other side and you've got a new american royalty in the middle and then the conspiracy theories surrounding the whole thing we live in a crazy country joe can't really stump for himself because he he doesn't really have the kind of youthful energy you know we'll get legions of taylor swift fans out there pushing people to vote and hopefully vote in the right way Okay. Well, what, what, I don't know what that Which is. is the right you. way. Right. Well, we're not endorsing anyone. So, <laughs> close to really? No, maybe. I'm sorry. We're like, I'm, I'm endorsing. <laughs> I'm endorsing whoever is the least crazy. Please. Is Kanye running again? And you know what I actually saw yesterday was a video explaining Kanye's descent into madness, and it started with him attacking t- Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm that, that, that was the beginning of the end for him. <laughs> He's disappeared. He's just gone. I mean, maybe I, I don't like keep up with the Daily Mail as much, but I don't hear anything about him anymore. I, mean, like, I just could, It's Kanye. just amazing to me. I'm like, I cannot. It was like Kanye West, Kanye West, Kanye West. It was like nonstop. And then all of a sudden, it just completely stopped. I, don't, I think it's maybe good. I think he's going through stuff, and I hope he gets better. We could have Kanye on. Oh, man. That'd be so good. <laughs> That'd be the best. Thank you all for listening. If you can, and you've listened this long, please leave us a rating and review, Apple or Spotify. I think one of the last reviews had mentioned Troy's sexy voice. So 
Yeah. Is that. Maybe more, more of that coming. It makes us happy. All right. Till next week. Thank you. Thanks, guys.